Welcome to The Hive Podcast, a new 10-part series with me, Natalie Nahai, exploring technology's impact on our personal, cultural and political lives. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud and YouTube and join in the conversation with the hashtag HivePodcast. If you enjoy the show, please do give us a rating on iTunes as it helps spread the word and makes it easier for other people to also find this content. And now for the show. Stephanie Elise is the co-founder and chief pleasure officer of Mystery Vibe, an award-winning British pleasure brand that designs amazing toys and focuses on changing perceptions around pleasure in a positive and empowering way. A strong advocate that pleasure is a beautiful part of the human experience and fundamental to our happiness, Stephanie is Mystery Vibe spokesperson on the role of technology within sex and relationships. She's been featured in major publications such as the BBC, The Times, The Guardian, Economist, CNBC, TechCrunch and Wired, and she regularly appears as a keynote speaker on international stages. In this episode, we'll explore the changing landscape of sex tech, how a focus on sensuality and pleasure is helping to reorient the industry, and how it's also redefining some of the ways in which we seek out and experience our sexual, sensual selves. What do you think about the ways in which sex tech first inspired you to get into this industry? Mm, it's it's a really funny one for me because um, sex, in my opinion, has been such a driver of technology in the past, um, and especially on the adult content side. So pornography has really been at the forefront of technology and has really pushed, um, for example, certain bits of software or even the idea that you could stream over the internet or pay for things over the internet. That was essentially porn. Um, And porn still pushes forward a lot of the tech that we consider to be very futuristic, like virtual reality, Um, pretty much all of the paid or a lot of paid content around virtual reality is for porn. Um, But what really kind of inspired me to get into, into this industry was the fact that a lot of sexual accessories, so products, hardware, Um, and some services online had stayed very far behind when it came to technology. They'd been very backward, um, and they still are to this day. Uh, So I was inspired to try and find different ways that we could use uh, very future-looking technology to really help people in the bedroom, um, help couples keep their sex life really fun and exciting and help people to explore their own sexuality and sensuality, um, their own bodies and bodies of other people. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of what initially inspired me. Uh, Yeah. So you're talking about pleasure and the role that technology takes in hopefully bringing people together. One of the things I enjoy Mm -hmm. about the way that you speak about it is you focus quite a lot on pleasure and sensuality. And I think the ways in which the sex industries have typically been set up is to focus on, for instance, penetration or a specific goal, which is usually coming, all of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I love about what you do and what a lot of other women in particular in sex tech do is to reorient the conversation around sensation, pleasure, sensuality, Um, What do you think about the ways in which gender plays a role in terms of reframing this conversation? Is is it something that you've seen from your perspective, from your experience? 
It's an interesting question. Um, and I think you're, the way that you phrase it around reorienting the conversation is a really great one, especially when we consider the kind of sex education that we receive as young people mm-hmm. and how much, yeah, like you say, there is a focus on things like penis and vagina, penetration. Um, I think it's an interesting question. I was having a very fascinating discussion with a friend of mine, um, Nikki Hodgson, and she was asking the question whether women are the custodians of intimacy. Do women carry the kind of emotional baggage when it comes to intimacy and connection? I think this is a fascinating question. And I, if I look at the industry especially the fact that for a very long time, the sex industry was very male dominated, at least at the head of different organizations and companies, and is now shifting much more towards uh, female founders. And with that shift has come this huge, huge swathe of changes from the way that products are designed to the way the user experience is designed to even the types of information that is available. Um, I would say that, yeah, I think the more women that we have in this space and the more women that we have considering big questions, like what does it mean to have some kind of intimacy with um, a non-human thing, a robot, or around ethics of data. And I, I think we really need not just a gender balance, but also a balance of viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we have we need to have as many different voices as possible contributing to some of these discussions and some of these products and some of these services in order to make sure that we're creating things that um, cater to as many people as possible, not just a select uh, proportion of the population. Mm, that's fascinating. There was um, there's a, a show that I watched recently called Slutever, which is by Vice. Um, and the show, the specific episode was looking at sex in the trans community and the very varied ways in which we all experience sex, but especially when there's so much more um, range for what's possible and range of configurations of people coming together and also body types, mm-hmm. genders, sexualities, identities. And it was just extraordinary, this rich kind of weaving in of, of different ways in which we can relate to our own bodies and to those of our partner or partners. Um and I think one of the things that I was really fascinated by was um, this person who has created a trans sex toy, which, again, is specific to people who have, well, in this particular instance, um, to people who identify as male but who have a vagina and want to experience themselves as masturbating with a phallus. So that's basically what he was describing this toy primary, primarily to be for. And it was just yeah. fascinating to see someone create something that was useful in that way and that helped also reduce um, what he was talking about, the the reduction of a sense of shame. And I think whatever person you are in whatever community, however you express or relate to your sexual identity and your gender identity, that piece of the puzzle, the shame piece is so important. Do you think that we're starting to have conversations about um, empowering sexuality, sensuality that enables us to deal with some of our shame? Because we all have it in some form or other, I think. I think that pleasure is the antidote to shame. I think that we are so bombarded with messages from being very young, especially um, especially young women, uh, bombarded with messages, how they should look, how they should feel, how they should act in some kind of sexual situation. Um, 
And for me, I think that understanding and exploring and being curious about your own body and about how you feel about your body and how you feel and experience pleasure and different sensations is such an incredible antidote to those messages. Mm. Um, and like you say, pleasure isn't gendered. Mm. Pleasure has no gender. Um, so while we are moving as a society towards this much more gender fluid conversation, um, which I think is an incredibly positive thing, we need to remember as well that everyone has the right to experience pleasure. Um, there's a real difference between right and access. Mm. Um, and if we can try and close that gap a little bit for everyone, not just one section of the population. I think that's an incredibly important thing for society as a whole. Mm. I wonder with the point that you were saying um, about the messages that we internalize when we're growing up, because um, often we talk about people who are not male <laughs> yeah. or cisgendered men or, yeah. um, or people who grow up to become cisgendered men. Um, and one of the things I wonder about if we're doing in the more female-oriented sex tech communities, in this instance, I'm thinking about the work that you do, the toys that you guys create, the messages that you bring across, and people like Cindy Gallup with Make Love Not Porn, and all the different messages that are coming out through these sorts of new, well, relatively new channels, um, if actually we're also taking on the role of liberator educators, so trying to create a conversation where people can be educated about... um, their bodies, how they work, how extraordinary they are. Um, do you think that is also now a role that sex tech is having to adopt almost as an antidote to the weird stuff that and the norms that um, yeah. pornography have just created uh, almost by default? Yeah, and that's an area which I'm really excited about, actually. Um, I think for a very long time, if we're talking specifically about sex education as well, for a very long time, um, it's been placed in the hands of the government, the state or schooling, um, for, from which, which for many people is a, a public thing. They don't, don't go to private school. Um, and it just hasn't been good enough, quite frankly. Mm. I, I remember asking on Twitter, uh, it was a few months ago, can someone point me towards a country that does sex education like incredibly well? And aside from a, couple, a few people pointing at the Nord- some of the Nordic countries, I think they definitely do it best, but there is still a huge room for improvement when it comes to understanding um, how we should be educating young people. And not just as... Um, educators, but how parents should speak to their children, for example, about sexuality. Um, so as that, as some of that, um, is moving towards the private sector, uh, or you have more companies, uh, appearing that tackle some forms of sex education, be that, for example, an OMG, yes, that talks mm-hmm. about pleasure for people with vulvas. Um, or there's a great, uh, new startup in the U S as well called taboo that helps specifically people at college to find more information or O school as well as another great one. As these companies for profit companies start picking up more around sex education and distributing more resources, it just gives people more options about where they can seek information. And I, of course I shouldn't go without mentioning some great charities too. So there are some great not-for-profit. Um, so for example, here in the UK, we have a great charity called Brooke, uh, which educates a lot of young people about all kinds of sex and relationship issues. Um, but I think as well, 
we're starting to move towards um, a different understanding of what sex education actually means and what sexual health means. I think for a very long time, we viewed sexual health as the absence of problem. Mm. Um, whereas actually we're now starting to change that conversation and starting to think about things like pleasure and sexuality and relationships and all kinds of, of different things that are very important. It's kind of like, I think the difference between having, I suppose when you talk about well-being, it's, it's that mm. added positive connotation of, well, how can we more readily experience and embody pleasurable experiences, for instance? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, sexuality is part of holistic health. Uh, it's a fundamental part of holistic health. And it's still something which, a, a good sex life is still something which a lot of people don't have access to. Um, so yeah, technology should be helping people have access to the kinds of sex life that they want or that they need. Mm. Um, and also it should be helping us to facilitate conversations with each other. So it should be helping parents explain things to their children, or it should be helping a sex educator talk to a room full of teenagers, or it should even be helping, um, a couple that have been married for a very long time. Uh, explore different fetishes or different kinks that they might have had for a very long time but never felt able to discuss with each other. Mm. So technology should be helping enable and facilitate those conversations. And also I think it sounds like bringing us into closer relationship with ourselves and then that means that we can meet the people that we're with at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I wonder how do you think that technology as it stands now, sex tech, how do you think it's changing our perceptions of sex and relationships and pleasure, maybe for good and for bad? Oh, my God, what a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Um, I think that it's definitely opening up a whole new world of possibility. Um, I think sex tech as an industry has a very long way to go. I think we're only starting to see the very beginnings of what can be done with technology that has sometimes even existed for a very long time outside of sex. Um, so for example, there was a huge wave or there has been a huge wave of, um, suction toys. <laughs> um, there are a couple of companies that, uh, brought it out and it was a very new thing for, and they basically wanted the, one of the ways that they are used is on suction for the clitoris. Mm. Um, and that technology had existed in, the medical space for a very long time but it had only just been applied to sexuality i wonder if that's just because there weren't enough female doctors that went and maybe kind of took it home and went, mm, i wonder what i can do with this yeah yeah it's crazy or you and it goes the other way as well you look at a, an item like the speculum which has been used for decades um i think it was designed in like 1890 something hmm. crazy and hadn't the design hadn't been changed for so long because there weren't women and two women from frog design, I think last year basically said enough's enough. This is a very uncomfortable thing that was designed years and years and years ago by a man. Hmm. Let's redesign it and have it designed by someone who has a vulva so they can kind of input on that design process. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, I think we're, yeah, we're only at the very beginning. And so for example, the ability to have, a Skype call with your partner who's on a business trip or who you're in a long distance relationship with is a relatively new thing. 
And then to be able to potentially control some kind of sexual product over distance so that they feel have some kind of haptic feedback from something that you're doing on your phone is very new. It's very young as as a piece of tech. Um, there's a lot of things to do the, to improve it. Uh, but it's really starting to push some of the boundaries. So I wonder with that then, because often when we talk about sex tech, um, we might have in our minds this idea of penetrative toys or sleeve-based toys mm-hmm. um, or a range of things that you can insert or use. Um, but recently, I, um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Kate Devlin, who's at Goldsmiths University, who does sex hackathons and her background is in human-computer interaction and sex tech and archaeology, I believe. Anyway, yeah. um, so was when I was hosting the Guardian uh, Changing Media Summit in London, and we touched on the possibility of sensual technology. So tech which isn't necessarily geared towards vibration and penetration, but mm-hmm. other, other kinds of sensations such as pressure, warmth, stroking. Um, do you think that that's something that we've only started to explore the very tip of with regards to long distance relationships? So having, I, I don't know, I'm thinking maybe you could have like a pressure blanket that you put on you so that when you are engaged in some kind of intimate sexual experience with a toy, you also have these other points of contact. That's just like my fancy, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't probably admit that on this podcast. <laughs> you could have a cuddle over distance. Yeah, or strokes, because obviously, like, you know, the, the pleasure is not just specific to one region on the body. The, the whole body can be a yes. playground. Absolutely. There are so many erogenous <laughs> zones. And also just areas which it just feels nice to have some human contact or contact of some sort. Yeah, I, I completely agree um, with you and Kate on this, I think where uh, so much opportunity and possibility uh, and I know that at their most recent sex tech hackathon um, which I, I presented at, at the at the beginning but I didn't get to see the stuff at the end I had to travel uh, they created this incredible sex robot that was not shaped like a human um, <laughs> which for me was like in a, crazily innovative in itself it seems like whenever we talk about sex robots we talk about them shaped like humans specifically like women or well, um, silicon blow up doll type yeah, things which is just, exactly i find really quite disturbing but that's only my perspective They're very limiting just to think about that but they created some kind of uh robot which did surround you and mm. it it gave you um a different sensation of pressure and a feeling like you were surrounded by something um i think people derive pleasure from lots of different sensations mm. uh no two people are the same. So it's crazy to me that we would develop a very specific type of thing that was only good for one kind of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should be able to feel like we have someone blowing down our skin over distance or um, have the ability to have different types of pressure or warmth or even the ability to kind of smell something a bit different or something that you really enjoy or I don't know. I think there's, we have five senses. Let's use all of them. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. So what was this? I'm really curious. What did it look like, this? Um, all it was kind pretty of big. Thing? <laughs> not something you could just whip out and, you know, hide underneath your bed. <laughs> definitely not. Um, they took a couple of images, so I would definitely recommend going and checking it out. I think it's sextech.hack. Or just search for London Sex Sex Tech Hackathon and you'll find it. But um, it was, you had to basically lie down inside it. um, So it kind of took over your whole body, as it were. Uh, mm. (laughs) I'm just thinking, I'm wondering if it's kind of, because it kind of 
makes me think of, um, well, many things, but it, it also makes me think of a lot of the VR porn that is starting to come up. So this idea of these almost like, um, I guess, robotic entities that you could create, or perhaps in manga or anime, that don't have to be human looking, but somehow take on their own sense of sexual appeal, depending on the person that you are. Um, do you think that we could end up with, I don't know, technosexuality, where we're, where we're really getting attracted to the technology itself? Oh, wow. Technosexuality. I've never heard that before. That's great. <laughs> um, mm, interesting. Well, I think to some extent, it's more for me, it's more about feelings than actual things. Mm. I mean, you could look back and ask how many people have sat on the washing machine <laughs> and enjoyed the vibrations from that. Or um, I can't really think of any other examples at the moment, but I think it's more about how a certain piece of technology would make you feel rather than what it is. Or at least to me, that's how I would think about it. Yeah, it's curious, isn't it? <laughs> it's really curious. And when, as I'm thinking about that, I'm also thinking I did put a lot of weight on this concept of virtual reality because I think it has such an amazing ability or it could have such an amazing ability to help you experience and explore different things. So if you were in a completely virtual space um you could create your own avatar and your own avatar didn't necessarily need to look like you you could for example have sex as someone with completely different genitals or I would love to experience that oh my gosh it'd be fascinating yeah and so I was I I put a lot of um thought into how that could really help some people um experience different things and I think that it's still quite a long way off but to be able to maybe combine that with some actual physical haptic sensation, whether you were in some kind of bodysuit or some specific space that was kitted out to to react to what you did in the virtual space, mm. I think there's a there's a lot of possibility. And I think the interesting thing in there for me is the fact that actually it's really great to be able to be reaching a point in history where we can have more personal, frank and open conversations about this kind of stuff. And also think about how sexuality, um, as we've touched upon it, or sexual pleasure or just sensual pleasure, because it's all interlinked, how these things can be broadened and redefined um, and, and how this can become a play space. So something that's free of stigma and shame, but also of expectations that we might previously have had. Um, also, I'm kind of thinking about one of the things that you said about the way that, that toys or machines may or may not look I love that I've got this beautiful range of things that I can look at and they, they are beautifully shaped and ergonomic and it's medical grade silicon and it's like high-end stuff it's so nice compared to the rampant rabbits of the old days <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking these are like worlds apart this is what happens when women design technology for people with vulvas it just it ends up being so much more beautiful yeah and that's one of the things I love doing what I do in the sense that I get to create things that I love myself um <laughs> But it's funny you mentioned that because we did some focus groups in the very early days of Mystery Vibe. We uh, we got a whole bunch of people together in New York and we asked them things like, how would you like your product shaped? And there were so many people who said, I'm so turned off by toys that are shaped like genitals. Yeah. Um, I don't want, and also it makes it harder for me to bring this into my bedroom because my partner is intimidated by it. Mm. Um, and it was just something that was taken as given for so long that that's what people wanted. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, it was really interesting for me to kind of have some of those conversations and you're completely right. Sex is so personal. Um, my concern is that sometimes society is definitely not keeping up with technology. Mm. And I think we need to be incredibly wary of tech, which might sound cool for us, but could be incredibly dangerous for other people. Um, there was, for example, a piece of tech that I think was talked about, a piece of software that um, looked at, at people's faces and said, we can tell your sexuality by just looking at your face. Um, so this could help people try to find someone who might be interested in them sexu sexually in a club or in a bar. But for some people in other parts of the world, that could mean the difference between them being arrested or, or being killed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would like to think that as we keep developing technology and there's, there's no way that you can stop the driving force of tech, um, we keep having these conversations and we talk about how things will affect people in completely different situations to ourselves, which is why we need that diversity of voices when it comes to development of tech. Mm. And I think also one of the key pieces that's missing in all areas at the moment, although it's starting to be addressed, is the issue of consent. So if you are in a bar mm. and someone has this particular software and they're able to scan you, whatever orientation you might be, the fact that we're unable to opt out. And it may be, what about people who are um, unaware of their gender identity or their sex identity and how that unfolds mm -hmm. and unfolds? Because we all go through different stages of self-growth and self-awareness at different stages of our lives. Um, and I think the potential there is enormous in terms of creating significant harm until we get to the point where we have, for instance, like a cloaking device where we can actually opt out and scramble that from happening to us. I, I mean, that's my fantasy is to have like mm. a cloak of invisibility because I don't want to be subject to that level of surveillance, especially not for yep. that kind of intimate um, information. Yeah, I think data... It's, it's a tricky one to talk about. Um, mm. Data has incredible possibility, but also incredible possibility for harm. Yes. Um, so there are so many cool and amazing things we could do if we know a little bit about you. Or um, if, for example, your smart sexual product, be it vibrating or not, um, understood exactly how you like to be touched. Um depending on the day you've had or whatever, um, and was able to kind of give you a really pleasurable experience. But at the same time, it also throws up a whole bunch of questions like, what if you share that product with your partner and you then break up? Mm. Um, and I, I definitely think data is, is an area where society is not keeping up with technology. Mm. Or our, our conversation is not keeping up with technology. Technology is racing ahead. But on the other side of things, I, I'm quite positive about things because I think that sex has been an area where, for example, consent is such an important part of sex. And communities, be it kink, be it fetish, um, are just, for many people generally, the concept of informed and enthusiastic consent has been around for a very long time. And people are very well versed in it. Um, so there are actually many concepts around that uh, that I think could be applied more broadly to tech um, and that need to be applied more broadly to tech. And it's one of those things where, for me, like if my sex toy knows that I masturbated on Friday, 
it's it's not that big of a deal. And there are other kinds of data that are about me, for example, like my financial information that I would consider to be much more private. But we just have to be very aware that for different people, different kinds of data has a very different kind of priority or importance or importance to be kept safe. Mm. And I think also with that, there's obviously always the possibility, especially for people who are already more vulnerable. So for instance, say, well, let's just use an obvious example, the leaks that have happened with women who've taken naked photos of themselves and shared mm-hmm. them privately on platforms that they thought were secure, on cloud platforms, for instance, that are then hacked and they get distributed, that could also happen with the data. So then suddenly you can be subject to all this abuse going, well, we know that you wank a lot, or we know that you don't wank mm-hmm. a lot. What, what are your thoughts about the ways in which we can use data in a consensual way to help enhance an experience while also protecting the privacy of the individual, especially with relation to sex tech? Yeah, it's it's a very important question. Where does the responsibility lie? Yeah. And I think for a very long time, we've placed responsibility or we've, again, it comes back to right from the very beginning of this conversation around shame. Um, oh, you shouldn't have taken that picture. Mm. Um, why are you complaining that your your nude picture was leaked because you took it in the first place? <laughs> That's not what we should be talking about. We, um, where the responsibility lies, I think, is with companies that are collecting data. Um, absolutely. Um, and that, for example, is one of the things that is now being pushed through with the new regulations in Europe around GDPR. Um, does that company need to be collecting that data? What are they using it for? Is there some kind of purpose for it? There now has to be a purpose for you to collect data. And how do you treat that data when you have it? Um, And how could someone see exactly what data you have on them and request that it's deleted? So we are, we are taking some steps forward. And I think we have to be really careful with where we, where responsibility lies. And for me, um, having co-founded a company where we, think that there could be really important and useful uses of data, I have to make sure, and I am passionate about making sure that we're very respectful of what people give us. Because ultimately, you are giving us your data. Um, It's yours. It's not ours. It's yours. Um, So we have to be very respectful of that. Um, But yeah, I think there are some incredible things that we can do and not just individual personalized data because yeah, it's, it's interesting. For example, if your smart sex toy knows what you like, so it can give you a tailored orgasm. Yeah, that's amazing. But also how we use data that is collated from hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands or more people. Um, because there's, there's a lot that I think we could learn about human sexuality um, that could be interesting and useful. Um, so for example, there are many, many people, people that I've spoken to and people that I haven't spoken to who may not have ever experienced orgasm. But if from the data of a hundred thousand people, we find that this particular kind of stimulation or this kind of content helps you get in the mood much better or stimulates a certain part of your brain, then doctors could say, oh, we recommend X, Y, Z. So I think there's potential from both from both individual and collated data, but we have to be very careful with how we use that, how it's stored, who has access to it, um, 
anonymizing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you need to know out of those hundred thousand people? Do you need to know who they are? Or can they be person one, person two, person three? They should, they should be anonymized. Um, but yeah, we have to really hold people who are collecting our data to account. Yeah, I couldn't agree more um, on all of those counts. So it, moving back generally towards the, the industry of sex tech, the, the changing mm-hmm. industry of sex tech, what's your greatest concern for the future? Oh, that we move back to some kind of handmaid's tale kind of scenario. Oh, oh yeah. no, that, that's my greatest fear, right? Um, for me, I think... I think we've, over the last few years, especially, we've really been opening up conversations. And my greatest fear would be that those are shut down. Um, Because I think we need more open, honest conversations and more opportunity to find information. So censorship is something that I'm increasingly being concerned about. Mm. Um, Whether that's uh, on a big scale, for example, an organization like Patreon, which, um, helps a lot of people, uh, earn money for content that they're doing, shutting down sex workers and, um, sex bloggers from Sester Foster and some of the controversy around those pieces of legislation to even things like shadow banning content, um, on social networks. I think, there's a lot to think about when it comes to censorship and shutting down conversations rather than opening them up. Yeah, that's one mm. thing that I'm focused on at the moment. So I wonder, I mean, just before I move to the next question, with things like that, because I know that Instagram, for instance, is a, a platform that's used a lot by artists and many mm. artists do the most beautiful, erotic, sensual work, um, which for some reason gets blocked, but example images of women with, well, and men, with big close-ups of um, shapely bums, they don't get blocked. So, like, there's, a, I think there's definitely room for a more European. And when I'm thinking European, I'm thinking perhaps more French <laughs> <laughs> appreciation for eroticism. Um, yeah. And, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's create a platform. Come on, it's about time. It's, it's like that question of you're perfectly happy to have magazines with big boobs everywhere but when yeah. it comes to a mother feeding her child oh it's just ridiculous um, yeah there's a lot of a lot of double standards still and yeah. that's why I think it's really important that we open the conversation more and we um introduce more people to concepts uh around this around equality around um what is a sexualized image of someone that is inappropriate versus appropriate mm. um and it's funny we were having a conversation um the other day uh, in that sex sells everything, but it's really hard to sell sex. <laughs> that is such a good quote. Everyone from cars to, I don't know, whatever, uses sex to sell their products. But actually, when you look at some of the issues around shadow banning and um, around products not being able to advertise, even to very highly targeted audiences, um, and Facebook and all kinds of um, platforms not allowing sexual content, like the, yeah, there's still huge, huge double standards. Mm. So what's your greatest hope for the future? My greatest hope for the future, just generally. <laughs> for the sex tech industry. Personally. Um, <laughs> for the sex tech like. industry. <laughs> um, I would love to see 
I would love to see sensuality being incorporated into more um, sex-related stuff. Mm. Uh, I think I think conversations products. Sometimes we focus too much on the on the penetration. Mm. Um, I would love to create more technology that allows us to be intimate over distance and not just um not just over skype okay if you could give people one action that they can take today to bring maybe more pleasure into their everyday lives more sensuality into their everyday lives and also into creating this more open future that we've talked about what would that single action be Mm, very good question. I would say that the single action would be whether you're with yourself or with a partner, instead of asking things like, what can I do? Ask things like, what do you want me to make you feel? So start focusing on sensation and focus on what feels good rather than specific actions. Mm. Oh, I like that idea. <laughs> Mm, it definitely opens up some very interesting conversations. Yeah, and I like the fact that you're moving into the the embodied experience and not the just the visual, observable, physical experience. <laughs> yeah, because I think we're taught so much about how sex should be. Like you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, mm. and then you're done. Um, but actually, sex isn't like that. It's not some linear, progressive thing, um, and it doesn't finish with someone always ejaculating on someone else's face. <laughs> um, wow. And on that note. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. <laughs> My pleasure. And hopefully yours. <laughs> Definitely mine. Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast with me, Natalie Nahai. To find out more about today's guest and the topics we explored, you can find resources and links on the show notes page at natalinahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please do give us a rating on iTunes and join in the conversation with the hashtag Hive Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.